Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My name is Jessica Voss, and you're listening to Eleven, the official theater podcast. Hello, and welcome to Eleven, the official theater podcast that brings the biggest stars and creatives together in one place to discuss life in the arts. In a very short time, she's become a superstar singer that's lighting up stages and concert halls across the United States and now she's bringing her talents to British shores. She made her Broadway debut in the 2014 production of The Bridges of Madison County before going on to appear in the original Broadway cast of Finding Neverland. Her other notable credits include playing Alphabet in the Broadway and United States touring productions of Wicked, as well as playing Fruma Sarah in the 2015 Broadway revival of Fiddler on the Roof. And in 2018, she released her widely acclaimed debut album called Wild and Free, with a follow-up EP released in December 2020, and most recently played to a sold-out crowd during her first solo show at the world-famous Carnegie Hall. She also has credits including working with ABBA as a vocalist for the live concert performance of Christina, written by Benny and Bjorn, and performed at the previously mentioned Carnegie Hall and at London's Royal Albert Hall. She also performed as Anita in the San Francisco Symphony's live recording of the West Side Story score, which was later nominated for a Grammy. In 2019, she originated the role of Aunt Val in the world premiere of the musical adaptation of Becoming Nancy and appeared as one of the narrators in the 50th anniversary concert of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat at the Lincoln Center. She also has solo music, a killer podcast, and a host of friends that are from all corners of the music and theatrical world. And of course, most importantly, she's the dog mama to the icon and legend that is Fred. So here in an exclusive conversation, we discuss finally sharing her talents with the people of the United Kingdom as she is set to play Cadogan Hall on Sunday the 27th of February. We also discuss how playing Elphaba gave her an idea into the world of being different, why the leaking of her Wicked Audition video is a deeply personal breach of her as an artist, and she shares her surprising view on clips being filmed during shows. She also discusses working with Jason Robert Brown and Ariana Grande, kind of making Fiddle on the Roof a bit of a comedy show, rehearsing, or should I say not rehearsing, with Kristen Chenoweth, her allyship to the LGBTQ community, and why she plans to go to every single stage door when she's here in London. She's a vocal and comedy genius, and this entire conversation is everything. So get ready to welcome the hilarious Jessica Voss to this, the next episode of Eleven, the official theatre podcast. 
To ensure the safety of all involved in this episode of Eleven, Jessica and I connected for this conversation digitally, so please forgive any brief moments while we wait for the internet to catch up. Enjoy. She's the queen of the gays and the beltiest belter that lives in my mind rent-free every goddamn day. So strap in and help me welcome to this the next episode of Eleven. Look at that smile. She's already doing a dance. It's superstar talent of Miss Jessica Voss. Hello, Jessica. How are you? Wow. I, uh, this is the gay agenda. This is the gay agenda. I am so happy to be here finally talking to you. Like we were, we were saying earlier, we've been trying to make this happen for a long time. Finally, we're here. I'm so yeah. thrilled. I'm so excited. Also, I definitely messed that introduction up because I was like laughing at you, trying to read. Was just about to say actually midway through actually speaking, which doesn't normally help if you try and say two things at once, that I'm wearing a pink shirt, especially for you. I was wearing this boring gray jumper and was like, this is not going to cut it speaking to Voss. So we are feeling the love because you're wearing something very camp as well. I am. And, I, you know, I'm actually bringing the green and mm. you've brought the pink. And as they say in the land of Oz, pink goes good with green. And now I feel like we didn't do this on purpose. No, but no, somehow no. we are soulmates. I mean, I sort of, I'm, I'm kind of quite proud of myself, the fact that we did this completely accidentally, be. but yeah. You, you should be. Do you want to just end the chat there? Thanks very much. Cheers yeah, for a great thank connection. You so good night. Much. Ah, thank you. <laughs> People would pay good money just to listen to that. But yeah, thanks. <laughs> bye. Anyway, thank you. It's so lovely to see you. And I'm so, so, so happy that we've got the opportunity to do this because I've been saying for ages I wanted to do it. And I knew that the right time would come along where I got to basically just confess my love for you. So now I can do it because you are doing something rather special, especially for us here in the UK. You're coming to visit us for a little bit, which is very, very exciting. It's actually not too far away from now, which I remember when this was announced and it felt like a lifetime away. So the fact that it's actually happening now is very, very exciting. I can't believe it. I, I'm I'm equally like pee your pants excited about Mm -hmm. it because like you said it was announced I mean some months ago but in pandemic time it feels like six years so now I finally get to come and and I am staying for two weeks and I'm going to just say like oh it's it's a work trip but like you know I have my one concert and then I'm just going to be like the embarrassing girl from New York who is going to all of the stage doors and telling people how much I love them it's just terrible it's terrible so that's literally yeah. what we do digitally from the UK to you anyway so therefore it's kind of reciprocal babe fine fine I'm a, fine then it's balanced I've now been yeah. balanced what's top of the list in terms of things that you want to see while you're here I mean I'm sure Gosh. Wicked comes on the list but there must be other things right I mean yeah I, you know I happen to know the Wicked show quite well I, I put a little pain out there to you know fans in the UK of, of what should I be seeing where should I be going a lot of people said and Juliet kind of want to see back to the future we don't you know these are things that just don't exist for us here what do you think I should see oh gosh I mean I would definitely say and Juliet just because it's one of those shows where you sort of go in this is such a classic theater and I think like you go with the preconception you come out with something else but you actually mm, do and I it's one this. of those shows you know like the first time you see Mamma Mia and you're like Oh, you laugh because it's like, oh, I know that song. But then you're like, it's actually genius how they've narrated the songs into the show. Well, I feel like Anne Juliet has learned very much about the successes of Mamma Mia, but gone up a level. It's so freaking good. And obviously Ooh. Max Martin's a goddamn genius. So yeah, Back to the Future is also fantastic. I must confess, wasn't really a fan of the movies to go in. So I was a bit like, oh, I'm going to hate this. Loved it. It's so good. And what they do on stage is exceptional. So yeah, very good. What else? Oh my gosh. The new production of Phantom of the Opera is pretty spectacular to see I sort of a revamp it. of that. I should see it. And six yeah. is still on. Is that right? Six is definitely still I, on. I yeah. Six. See, I should see six. 
I just yeah, should. definitely. Do you know what also I think you would love is the Bob Marley musical, which I know is sort of had its world premiere called Get Up Stand Up, which is superb as well. So you would love that. Fine, in, I'm in. I'm go- I think it's going to be one of my favorite experiences, certainly yeah. of the past couple of years, because I've been, the last time I was in London was with ABBA and I did this musical called Christina and we premiered it at Royal Albert Hall and it was this spectacle. And of course it's all ABBA music as you know, we well know those gents. And, and I haven't been back since. Now I get to live my my American in London, you know, dream. Yeah, definitely. And even though I have so a boyfriend, cute. even though I, like I could meet my gay boyfriend, you know what I mean? Like I could just like I'm standing by a telephone booth and I'm just I'm just there, and somebody just comes over and they're like, "Hello, are you Jessica?" And I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> I mean, that is 100% going to happen, especially if you do it around sort of the old Compton Street Soho area. So just be careful because people come up to you and be like, "Hi, I don't know if you know, but you are the queen of the gays, so therefore I must interact with you." So, you know, sharpie at the ready, hun. I mean, that's better. Queen of the gays is better than getting that phone call when you're like, you know, we'd like to offer you the lead role. You're like, is it queen <laughs> of the gays? Like that, I mean, this is where I'm at. I now I'm using that title. I'm I'm seeing Jerry Mitchell in a couple of days and I'm going to tell him. I love it. And also you're coming when we've officially, as of sort of in terms of when this is out versus now, very, very close to the beginning of the official Jubilee year for Her Majesty the Queen, which is the sort of the oldest and longest running monarch of all time. So you're sort of, coming in the regal year so it's kind of perfectly placed really now now because it's the regal year is there anything that i need to be doing for the queen specifically yeah so there will be lots of stuff happening specifically in may around the birthday but our actual sort of the point of which she ascended to the throne which is officially when i'm such a nerd you can tell i'm doing this at work when she actually when her father died was this coming sunday which is the start of february so this is sort of when she first became i'm not sure what sort of ascending to the throne sort of becoming the next queen but it didn't happen officially till may so really there will be a lot of sort of seven uh, there's a lot of sort of jubilee anniversary memorabilia happening around buckingham palace to go to buckingham palace if you can so there'll be lots of there'll be lots of fun things obviously it's quite difficult to market officially unless you're the queen i guess but yeah, I think if you're a merch sort of fan and you like pictures and stuff, I think Horse Guards would be a good one too. So, oh my God. And I'm staying in Notting Hill. I mean, Hugh Grant, like Hugh Grant, if you're out there, I know I'm a Liam Neeson purist. This message is for you if you happen to be in the UK when I'm in the UK for two weeks in February. I just wanted to say that I will marry you if you wanted to visit me. And if you are not available, Hugh Grant, I am also a fan. And if you would like to visit me, I will also consider making out with you. Everybody, let's get our COVID negative tests into a makeout station. You are going to be our queen. We're going to elect you and sort of anoint you for the day when we get you at Cadogan Hall because it's very, very exciting because as much as we joke and all these extra fun things you're going to be doing, you are here for a day of work as well, which is very important. And that is the 27th of February, Cadogan Hall, legendary, iconic venue because we basically get to sit in a rather beautiful auditorium and just listen to the joys and beauties of your voice. I wondered if you could, because obviously I don't want to spoil too much, but... In terms of a Jessica Voss show, what does it include? What are we going to get when it's like, right, the lights go down, here we go? You know, I, um, I'm i just thinking to myself how when I first saw photos of Cadogan Hall and I first saw the layout and the lighting and the people who've performed there in the past and who are coming up to perform and it's, it is iconic. I mean, there are a few venues where you look at a place and I, I consider Carnegie Hall one of them or Royal Albert Hall one of them where you walk in and you go, oh, I get to sing here? 
And so I think Cadogan Hall is one of those places and it's going to be one of those places for me. And so when, when I do show, my shows are very uh, interactive with the audience. I mean, expect to warm your ass up before you get there because you're going to be singing some oohs and ahs and you're going to be, you know, I'm going to employ you to sing some backup. And I always, I think it's a beautiful way to connect with people because my shows, they're not just a park and bark and you stand there and you're going to hear a set list of like, I really like Broadway, but I also really like, and they're, they are interactive. They're comedic. It, you know, I have people sometimes say like, did I go to a comedy show? I'm like, yes, bitch, you did because come here and you're going to feel good when you leave, especially after two plus years of Le Pandemois, where we have sat here sort of going like, um, I've, I have performed to virtual audiences where people haven't been able to sit there in person and clap and participate. You know, I always consider the audience to be the extra cast member, band member, singer when I'm doing something, even if I'm doing a Broadway show. And so now that I have that again, now that I get to travel, this is my first overseas travel since the pandemic. This is like a huge moment and I've never gotten to play a solo show in the UK before. So you can expect to definitely participate y'all. Um, you can also expect a lot of new things that I haven't had the chance to do yet. Dream roles that I've wanted to do stuff. I've never gotten to do in my own concerts before there's music from my debut album, wild and free, which I'm going to do a couple of songs that people know and love. There are a couple of mashups that have been like major fan favorites over here in the U S that I'm going to do finally in London. Um, I have two guests who I've recently announced who, who I just am obsessed with and they're both UK based and, uh, and I get to sing with them and just like make a meal of the evening. And my musical director is Georgia Stitt. She's a badass woman as well, who just knows her way around is such a fierce musician and composer and lyricist. And I get to come and like live the dream. I mean, it is not lost on me how lucky I am to be able to sing for your audiences. And, you know, even though it's a one night only, like, be and I should say, because it's a one night only, like this shit's going to be great. And it's going to be crazy. And the roof will be blown off us. Um, because the song choices, we just finalized the set list yesterday are crickety cray cray. Do you consider it almost like a clean slate? And I mean that in the best possible way, because we all have our own ways and in, um, sort of experiences of our interactions with you. If that's through your album, which I know a lot of my friends sort of discovered you through, oh, you should listen to this song. And then they're like, right, I'm obsessed. Or, you know, I know we shouldn't celebrate bootlegs, but bootlegs is a big part of a lot of people's career now. Or roles you've played, like concerts, so on and so forth. Like, do you like the fact that, you know, you're getting a real variety with London? Oh, yeah. I mean, and look, I will always be on the side of people where like, if you're going to put a bootleg up like I don't care I really don't and you can come anybody can come for me bring it on looking and come and slide into my DMs you know it's it's part of the gig and for people who don't have the ability to come and see a show or you know have had a rough past couple of years i.e all of us and that is something that makes you feel good and gets you through then do it you know and if I didn't if I didn't like it if I didn't like a video of myself I would ask people to take it down I mean it's just it is not that deep so I am so it's it's an honor for me to be able to do the things that people know me for to do the you know million dreams 
or to do, you know, I'm, I'm, I finally get to do being alive from company mixed with help by the Beatles over there, which is from my album. And I get to do these, like these songs that people love. And also I get to bring some things into the mix, like maybe something from ghost, the musical, or, you know, maybe some things I did at Carnegie hall with Ariana Grande's blessing. And these things, you know, that people will go, Ooh, I didn't know that went that way. Or I didn't know that that could be mashed up with that song or, Ooh, now I'm a fan of this artist. And I don't know. I just think there's something magical about that. And when you experience it as an audience member, and sometimes that's the cool thing about a one night only concert is you leave going, Oh, maybe she can come back. And then I'll be like, Oh, I'm going to come back. When it comes to creating those sorts of things that excite you creatively, that, that sort of get you going and you think, I know they want this, but actually I'd quite like to explore this. So we, I guess we sort of meet in the middle almost. How, how do they come about? For example, is it, is it based on an idea? You know, if you want to do an arrangement, you referencing your Ariana Grande thing there, if you want to try something that you want to sort of, do you do it and send it to her? Do you do it and then hope she likes it? How does it work? You know, the, the great thing about, about Ariana is how collaborative she is and how, I mean, she's truly a wonderful friend. She's truly a, a great person. And when she and I met during Wicked, when I was playing um, Alphabet and the 15th anniversary on Broadway, that's really how we met and kind of began our friendship. And so we've stayed in touch ever since. When I was putting my Carnegie Hall show together, I wanted to do a medley, which truth be told, the UK might need to hear it just because it's all about my dating life in 2021, um, which, you know, I just want to say that I think that God gives me the weirdos so that I can put them in pandemic dating medleys. <laughs> and therefore I can tell these stories where people go, no way that it cannot possibly be true. Guess what guys? It is true because I did date these crickety cries and I put it in a, right. I wanted to make a medley about this. And so I wanted the through line of the entire song and, and it truly a medley of all pop music. There's Taylor Swift, there's Madonna, there's, you know, you name it, Sarah Bareilles, all of it. But I wanted the through line of it to be thank you next. Okay. And I wanted it to be like, oh, you don't believe in water? Okay, thank you, Next. And so like these being true stories, I said to Ari, you know, I, I want to ask you if you wouldn't mind, since I have this 13 piece orchestra, if I did thank you next, to begin this medley, carry it through in the middle and then to end with thank you next. She was so excited about it. And she was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Yes, yes, you have to do it. She's like, but just like, don't use the, like the names in my song that I like, don't use the guys, my exes. I was like, oh girl, girl, I'm 72. <laughs> like from the past year where I, please, please. So it turned out so amazing and it was so funny. And I don't think that the audience expected to hear all of that personal stuff. But again, who am I if I'm not transparent and honest and, you know, tell you about my life? So in those kind of ways, it's cool because I have these little ideas in my brain because I, I love being a musician on top of just singing the songs. And so you just sit and you kind of like, what goes with this? Or sometimes you're sitting in the car and you're listening to a song. Like I was listening to an Ed Sheeran song. I was like, I think this is the same chord as Into the Unknown from Frozen. Now I've got to mash these up. And it's so fun because then I wrote to, you know, Kristen and Bobby Lopez who wrote Frozen. And I was like, I want to mash this up and do this song. And like, maybe we can record it. And they were like, we love that idea. So you never know what people will think unless you ask them. And I'm mm. such a big believer in telling people, especially in our business, especially people who are starting out, kids who are coming out of schooling, those who are just beginning their careers, 
to bring yourself to the table and don't be afraid to ask questions about like, hey, what do you think about this? Or um, I really find this idea to be cool. What's the worst that somebody can say? No. I mean, no sucks. And I hear it more than I hear yes. All, all of us do. But it's like, that's the worst somebody can say. Now that I'm 700 years old, anytime somebody says it, I'm like, all right, bitch, move, let's move on. And if you're not going to like it, somebody else will. So it's a cool, it's just, I think collaboration is amazing. And listening to other people's ideas are amazing because that's what makes the magic. I also want to have a bit of like, oh, okay, this is cool. Like, and I feel like with you, We'll get that musically. We'll get that with the mashup, but we'll also get it with your humor because you are incredibly funny. And I, <laughs> d- d- is is that something that that comes naturally to you? Like, are you aware that you know you've got the lols? As far as playing roles, like I, I've always geared myself toward the funnier, you know, comedic sidekick. I find Elphaba to actually be pretty funny as well. And I've always found myself to sort of lean into the improv and the just the laughter of it all. I love the funny now. I didn't realize until probably like the last two years that when I was doing my concerts, because I don't really script them, I don't believe in that kind of thing. Cause I feel like it's for me I, and I can only speak for myself. It's too um, predictable for me. I, again, there's that word. And so I'm like, I need things to be improv. So I like to do, and, and everybody who works with me as far as musical directors are concerned and directors, they know that if I'm putting a show together myself, that it, it we have these little like outlines of what's going to be said because I will go off on a tangent more than you can understand. And it might be like, because somebody's eating a salad in the audience, or it might be, you know, somebody yells something out. And that brings me into wanting to talk to you about a certain pair of underwear I bought once. Like there are just things that you, me, my brain works in that way. I just need to live in that kind of arena, improv arena. And so lately um, I did this, I did a New Year's Eve concert up in Provincetown, which is in Massachusetts here, which is like gay Mecca. So if you like, <laughs> that's just, that, that is my bread and butter. And I remember people leaving and being like, I didn't realize that I was seeing a comedy show. And I was so honored by that because I didn't go in saying like, and this is the comedy show and I'm yeah, going to yeah. sing through it. No, it's just like, I, I like telling stories that make people feel comfortable and alive and that they can laugh through it. And that like, I love uncomfortable moments so much because I sort of very much lean into feeling uncomfortable and making it hilarious versus sitting back and and waiting for things to happen. My brain automatically goes, I guess, to the funny place. um, And I don't even really think about it, but it's, it's something that I love so much because again, it's like the audience feeds that kind of stuff and you you go along with it and it becomes this, this dialogue, this unspoken dialogue that happens. And I love it so much. What about when you pair you with somebody else that's hilariously funny? How does it work in terms of like uh, sticking on script or trying to sort of stay on brand and get somewhere? Because if you, because when I saw you and your, one of your special guests at Carnegie Hall, Miss Kristen Chenoweth, I thought hilarious, queen of hilarity, good luck. That's all I was thinking. Do you want to know something? We, I don't know if, or know if I've said this truly out loud on any program yet, but we did not rehearse. We didn't actually rehearse. Like the first time that we saw each other was on stage that night. There was no pre-rehearse. I'm telling you that all of that was completely improv. She didn't know what I was going to be. She didn't know I was going to be singing. She didn't know what came before him. She came to the show. I, we took her to her dressing room. I gave her a little gift that I had made for her, gave her a hug. We were so excited. She was, you know, in, she was just like, I cannot wait to be on stage with you. This is the best 
oh my gosh, I'll let you sing. And I was like, okay, okay, bitch, let's go. And so I said, all I need you to do is when I'm singing the end of this particular song, I'm doing this uh, Maria Callas opera aria and I'm singing a super high coloratura note. And I need you to sing higher than me. So all I need you to do to come on stage is like sing a third higher than what I'm singing so that it pisses me off. And she was like, absolutely no problem. And so she came on stage and I'm not kidding you, all of our dialogue, I was wearing a huge, this, this couture gown that was made for me. We built it from scratch and it was glorious. And it was all these different ombre colors of gold. And Kristen just came out on stage singing that third note a third higher than me and then looked at me and she was like, I didn't know we were doing Beauty and the Beast. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, it was all totally improv. And, and she and I are very much the same in the way that we are very loosely scripted and we have to sort of go with our gut and be completely honest. And if we fall on our face and we do a lot, you know, I've had, I stop shows going, I'm sorry, what's next? Because what do you want to seem perfect all the time? I don't know. I, I much prefer, like you just said, I don't need to hear all the hits. I love going somewhere and, and hearing, hey guys, this is a new one, or I've never done this before, or this is by a composer. I mean, one of my um, special guests, his name is Max Harwood, and he's coming to sing a duet with me. And he actually introduced me to this British composer who I had not um, been familiar with, but it's a totally new song and it's gorgeous. It's that kind of stuff. It's being open-minded. It's letting people come in and do their thing and just going along with it. And, and that kind of thing, like if I'm in a room with somebody and we're both improvers, I think that it's over. Like you should have seen me in Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway. I should have gotten fired. I was going to say to you, actually, if you want sort of a really good example of a real time on stage moment of making something that isn't traditionally all that funny, sort of going to the bedside of Tevier and making Fruma Sarah hysterical. I mean, props to you for that. That's really good. <laughs> Thank you. I used to be the person who like even doing Alphaba, it's like my goal was to always make people laugh on stage in between the lines that we had. And like my Nessa at the time, I just remember every single time her back was turned uh, away from the audience, I would just do these like terrible things like, hey girl, you do how you doing girl? You doing okay? And she'd be like, stop it, stop it. I did the same thing in Fiddler on the Roof when I would like walk with a limp on purpose. I'm a terrible person. Like I'm a terrible person. And I would do that and it would just make people laugh and get so mad at me or I'd put something in my teeth. I mean, maybe I learned it from my parents. So thanks mom and dad for giving me these comedic moments that everybody wants to slap me in the face, but also they laugh. It's like a drug. I love it. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Does it make it easier or do you like the fact that your musical director obviously has a very special relationship with a certain genius composer? Does that sort of make those songs like, oh, maybe we should do a little homage or are you sort of like, actually, maybe we don't do that? Because I don't know if people know the connection, but it's pretty fucking impressive. Georgia and I have not gotten to work in this capacity in a long time. Usually I work with Mary Mitchell Campbell, who is my musical director who travels with me and we met years ago doing Finding Neverland. Put a pin in that. But Georgia Stitt is 
one of my best friends and mm. she and I, um, the fact that we get to collaborate on this concert specifically is so genius. And now here's the thing. You just said a lot of people might not know, which is that Georgia Stitt is married to Jason Robert Brown. Mm-hmm. Now, never heard of him. No, I, I now I made my Broadway debut doing a Jason Robert Brown show for the Bridges of Madison County, but I had been a fan of his work throughout college, throughout high. I mean, you listen to JRB last five years or Parade and somehow like you're in your room talking to yourself in the mirror about a relationship that you think you have that doesn't exist. I mean, or is that just me? Let's talk about it with a therapist. But they're married and they're both genius composers and lyricists. So actually in this show at Cadogan Hall, I'm doing an original Georgia Stitt and I'm also doing a JRB mashup. I have, you know, I got to bring both to the table. I love them both so much. Jason and I developed such a wonderful relationship since the Bridges of Madison County happened because the story of how I made my debut was so wacky that he and I remained close. And subsequently over the years, like I've, I've just, they've become part of my family and I think vice versa. And I just, outside of, you know, the business and working with people, when you find people who are genuinely awesome human beings, you can't help but want to be around them all the time. Georgia is certainly one of those people. Jason's one of those people. Their kids are those people. And so the fact that I get to do this and to do, to have Georgia playing Jason's song as well as like a song that she composed. I got to sing it on her album. It was basically written for me to sing on her album. And so I got to, to sing this song for her. And now we get to do it live for the first time in London. It's like mind blown. Since you were in the Bridges of Madison County and your career has sort of just gone through the roof. And I know you've hit so many milestones that you're very open and honest on social media about what they truly mean to you. And I feel like as a fan, if that's even the right word, as someone that follows your career and, and, and very much respects your talent, it feels refreshing to hear somebody speak about what it means to them personally. It's nice to see somebody say, I didn't think I was going to get this, or I'm probably way out of my depth, but I'm going to do everything that I can to deliver this. And it's great to see somebody progressing through their career. A question of two halves, does it come naturally to want to share that? Because so often in our industry, we're taught not to do that. So like, do you, d- does that make you feel particularly vulnerable or does it actually do the opposite and make you stronger? And the second part of that question is what happens when the vulnerability goes public? Because I know that you tweeted about that Wicked audition, which perhaps some people that won't be aware as to why leaking an audition is such a personal thing. Perhaps talk to me about why that actually isn't something we should be doing. Oh, that's such a great question. So I'll, the, so the first half of this is I know exactly what it feels like to think that we should be stifled in saying what it is that we exactly feel or talking about things that are taboo or perhaps, you know, not discussing our vulnerabilities or things that make us feel sad, scared, happy, grieving, etc. I guess I just, I know what it's like to be the person who has gotten stifled, has had doors shut, has worked really hard because I was in a completely different career before taking a leap and trying to make it on Broadway. So part of all of that is if I were to tell you, and my grandpa loves to say this all the time that like, oh, these, these success stories, they're just so overnight. No, they're not. I mean, if I were to tell you all of that, if I were to say, and then one day I woke up and I booked the Bridges of Madison County, I would be telling you bullshit. It is not easy. It is in fact much more difficult. And you have a lot more sad moments and moments of questioning yourself than you do of being elated and and happy and over the moon. It just is what it is in this business. And if I weren't honest with kids and students and people asking me what it really feels like, I mean, then I would be lying to you. And half of me being 
vulnerable. It's, it's very scary to be vulnerable. Anytime I put information out, which feels extremely scary to do, there's a part of me that knows that it's the right thing to do because other people are going to feel connected to it. And if I can help one person who is feeling depressed, anxious, scared, sad by telling them part of what I've gone through, then okay, I've done my job. Because especially over the past two years, we've all questioned, it doesn't matter where you are on the, on the lovely pyramid of success. We have all questioned where we're going. Should we pivot? What's going on? Our industry's closed. How many more months? You know, oh, when do we lose insurance? Can we collect unemployment? I mean, it's everybody is on this strange wheel and you have to bring light to that. You have to talk about how that's affecting you. Otherwise, again, I would just be a vanilla human being sitting here telling you all the highlight reels of life, which again, don't exist without the lows. And then part two is, you know, yeah, recently, and I don't know how, I don't know how this happened because I've really never seen this happen, especially in the Wicked realm where somebody's audition tape was leaked because those are super private. Uh, the one thing I want to remind people, unlike bootlegs is that audition tapes are before you even get the role. You're not actually in performance. So like I was saying earlier, look, you come to me doing Alphaba on Broadway and you watch me like in the air, you see that I'm like having a no fly show and you decide to like take out your iPhone, like have at it, babe, you paid the ticket. And if that's going to go up, I was in performance. So I knew I was doing it for an audience. This particular thing is so scary and vulnerable that when that got leaked, I actually didn't even remember that existed. I, I was sort of like, wow, this was in 2016. I was in Fiddler on the Roof at the time. That was my final callback for the show, which is taped for creatives to see, to say whether or not they want you to do the show. And of course, I'm proud of my work, but that was a that was a feeling for me that was so, um, I didn't want to see it. Like I actually didn't want to watch it because it made me feel so weird in a, in a very different way. And those are feelings that I have not had before because I've never actually rewatched an audition. And to me, I don't even know if it makes sense. It's it's even crazier than vulnerable. It's sort of like, oh shit, this makes me super anxious to know that this exists. And so it was out like on YouTube and on TikTok. And luckily I was able to like speak to people and get them taken down by just explaining, you know, what it meant to have. Cause because people started to say, did Jessica, is she okay with this being up? Yeah. And that's when you know like let's take that baby down. And yes, I'm super, I mean, and I understand how people can find it amazing to watch. And you're sort of getting a, a behind the scenes look at how the whole process goes, but it was sort of without my like consent on the whole thing, which is a little scary. So I, I hope that makes sense. If, if that two pronged answer makes sense. Did you stutter before you responded to that tweet? Because like you say, it was a really nice tweet that someone said, but they were just sort of making you aware of it. And I think their intentions were true. But the second you tweet about it, you obviously, you do sort of bring more attention to it. I can imagine it's sort of a catch-22, isn't it? It is. It's always a catch-22 because you're going to amplify the thing that you don't want to amplify. Yeah, yeah, literally. And you, and, and it's like, it is, it's this like black mirror version of what is the goal that you're trying to let people know? And in, in that moment, I mean, I had thought about it for a day. In fact, People had been sending it to me for weeks and I just was ignoring it. And somebody rather important sent, said, did you see this? And I finally said, okay, maybe I have to talk about this since, since the important people in this industry are now saying, maybe this should be taken down. So I guess I just, my, my goal of, of tweeting that, and I didn't want to seem like pissed off because I wasn't pissed. It was sort of this, um, I just wanted people to know that as the actor, it's really, it's hard to watch yourself anyway. Like if, if you do a self tape 
for mm. a TV show. You have to watch it back and you're like, Ugh. I mean, it's so hard to watch yourself. And I never actually watched the video until this important person sent it to me. And uh, and I guess I just wanted to say to the naked eye, it seems like a very like sexy thing to watch. And you know, you see all these things that are videotaped for for shows like Netflix or any platform where it's like, here's the, here's how this person got from the audition room to the stage, but like that that's taped for television. And obviously I didn't get the choice of, of knowing that that was going to be put into the ether. So, and then when you put it out there, you have to be prepared for people to get in touch with you. Like somebody wrote me and they were like, oh, you're an, you're an idiot. You're such a cry baby. Like it's not a big deal. Ugh. You're going to cry over this. And then you have to remember like, okay, you're going to get both sides of the coin. Like, why is it such a big deal? I'm like, okay, look, you might not get it. And that's okay. Uh, but you're right. It's hard. It's hard when you like put something out there and you're like, shit, should I have said that? Should I delete that? No, I mean, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but usually I feel like uh, I think about it before I put it out. Years ago, I did not think about things before I put them out and Vosk out, yeah. Also, they wouldn't have taken it down. They'd have been like, no, she's been- Exactly. A if they think you're being a dick, they'd be like, well, I'm not going to take exactly. that down. And actually it's- Right, and that's, again, part of the reason- to lean into honesty and vulnerability because the minute that you like start to board yourself up with a wall that is just based on trying to protect yourself, it's not authentic. You know, it's, it's just better to, to really feel your feelings and be who you are. Otherwise it just doesn't come across as authentic and people know it. They really do. I joke at the start in the introduction and we have, you had that laugh at the beginning, just around you being such an ally to the queer community. And we, we joke about it, but as much as there is great humor in it, because it's absolutely hundred percent true. It's also a very key milestone and part in your life, just of the allyship that you've shown to an entire community of people who, as we know from just day-to-day -day interactions, and I can speak as a queer person that it's really shit and tough sometimes. And allyship is one of the greatest sort of things that we have for people to, to really speak up and feel like we're not alone. And I wondered what sort of interactions do you have on social media around the fact that you're very vocal about your allyship, the fact that you very much lean into queer spaces and you're very much there to support rather than take from them. And, and I guess, is it sometimes something that you hesitate to do in such a public way? Because there are real world sort of implications and pushbacks from people being supporters of minority groups, even in 2022. Oh God, no, I never, I never question it. No, that is one of my, I, I will go balls to the wall for the gay community, for the queer community. I, there has not been a shadow of a doubt or a question where, you know, I, I, I am happy to have people come for me. I love it. If you want to, if you want to come for me based on somebody else's rights, please bring it on. I have all of the time in the world to blow your shit up because something that I am super passionate about is the fact that I have worked with and become very, very close with and best friends with some of the most amazing human beings who happen to be gay, um, who happen to be trans, who happen to, you know, decide, you know, even even halfway into my friendship with them that, you know, maybe I felt a different way about my sexuality or who I am than I did before, right? And these things, guess what? They are okay. And for, for, for me growing up, I remember I was in high school and my best friend, we were on a family vacation and he came out during this family vacation. And of course I knew he was gay, but it wasn't my place to out him or to say, I knew. But for me to just say, I'm here for you. 
And to have that happen in high school in a time where like, again, I'm ancient. So back then it was much more difficult as far as like coming out to your parents or your friends or having an entire, you know, school of people willing to bully you based on, you know, you being the real tiny minority in that instance. And so it taught me a lot about using my privilege as somebody who is a straight woman, a white woman, uh, who isn't going to have the pushback happen to me or the eyes roll or the judgment or the, you know, now that there's social media, the writing and the trolls and all that kind of stuff. Now I, I have certain facets of that that exist in my life, but never in the way that the LGBTQIA community does. So for me, I find it to be one of my largest um, platforms of allyship because even, and it sounds, this is going to sound maybe like a little bit, eh, of course, but when I played playing Alphaba for two years, teaches people things. Now for me, it taught me that on stage, I was completely different and called out for being the only different person. And I actually, as Jessica, did not know what that felt like. Yes, I'd been bullied as a kid for what? being flat chested, having an Italian nose. I don't know, like all of these the things that are stupid, but I didn't know what it felt like to be bullied for a, what I looked like or how I chose to live my life or who I was. So the gay community in that instance, I would really um, flood my inbox with like, wow, I felt seen or um, let me, let me explain to you what it is to want to get married or to want yeah. to have a baby or to want to, you know, all of these kinds of things, which opened my eyes to an entirely different world and community. So um, the long and short of it is I will like fight with fire for the gay community without, without question of whatever pushback I could possibly get. I would rather lose, I'd rather lose thousands of followers based on my allyship than stay quiet. There's this moment, you know, when you first enter the classroom scene and when you're doing the wizard and I, when you bump into this group of kids and all they do is ridicule you and make fun of you and you're by yourself. And <clears throat> I remember when I had first started doing the show and I was on tour, I, I knew that everybody on stage was acting and I knew that they were all my friends off stage. But there was this moment where you feel like I felt really shitty after those scenes or after the show was over. And I'd be like, why do I feel depressed? Well, it's because of being made fun of for something don't have control over. I mean, it, and that where anybody else, you know, as the audience member, you look and you go, this person is great. And why would you ever ridicule them for being different? And that was the, the moment for me where I'm like, oh my God, every, every gay person, every, um, every person with a different color skin, Again, something I don't understand and being painted green and being the only person who is green on stage also makes you go, oh my God, what is it like to be the only insert color person in a room full of white people? You know, and you're, you're how uncomfortable that is and how uncomfortable is it to have to feel like you can't express who you really are as a queer person because you're afraid of what other people are going to think. I mean, it's even in the show has been open for a hundred years and it's still valid because unfortunately people are still assholes and, and treat other people less than. Here's the thing. And I love saying this because it really pisses straight people off who are like super conservative. You know, the gays are so much more successful and like living like an authentic life than most straight people. And these are 
friends of mine who like are now, they have children, the best careers, homes in, you know, you name where they live. They like the fashion sense, honey, and unapologetically. And for, and I think that's inspirational. And so I think that people live based in fear and love to put that on the gay community that you're making me feel a certain way. No, honey, you are wearing the same pair of overalls that you did in 1992. Why don't you open up your brain space and realize that letting other people in, especially the queer community, can only enrich your life because otherwise, like, what are we doing? I could go on about it forever, you know. Also, if God hated gays, why are we so cute? And and why do you have the best fashion sense? And why is it that you can, you know, if anybody decides to, to go in drag, you are more gorgeous than many, many women, including myself. And why is it that you can tell me what looks best on myself? And I trust you more than I trust myself. Please, I could, again, I could go on about it forever and ever, but I surround myself with amazing, um, mostly gay men. And, uh, and it's a question, no joke, if I ever date somebody, I, oh, my, I'm not kidding you. My first question is, how do you feel about the gay community? Always. You're a straight guy. And if we're going to date, if you have issues with the gay community, I can't date you. I truly cannot date you because I'm not the one, I'm not sitting here going to change your mind. Either you have been on board for your life or you get, you get out of mind because I have no time for that kind of bullshit. So I surround myself with, with gay men, not only because I'm in the theater community, but because I value the gay community's opinions basically on everything. So are you a gay mama with your um, dog? With my dog. Yeah. Fred is actually, I, I'm pretty sure that Fred is bisexual uh, and which I'm very proud of because as we all know, like my dating life, you know, has been like, I've dated a lot of people and um, proudly because you have to, you know, you've got to date in my, in my, you know, world. Like I've got to, you know, test all the guys out to see the right one. It's a very Cinderella. And so for Fred, whenever he's outside and he sees another dog, it could be a male dog. It could be a female dog and he'll still hump both of them and he'll hump a pillow. So, and you know, who taught him how to hump a pillow? My gay best friend. So that is I pointed also... at you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but also an honor that I would take on because I am so proud of him when he does these things. I really am. Oh, Jesse. He's an equal opportunist. Equal yes. opportunist humper. Equal... That's not, that's really terrible English. <laughs> equal opportunist humper. That's absolutely correct. Like I would, act, I would put that on merch. I would absolutely put that on merch. And so truly though, I have said to Fred before, I'm like, honey, because I actually do want to have a child one day. And, and I am very much like in the, in the vein of, yes, I have a dog. I have a dog child. I'm a single mother at this time. But if I have a a real human child, you know, I just, I'm so excited to, um, to, to eventually get to know somebody for exactly who it is that they are and choose to be like, you know, or I shouldn't say choose to be or for exactly who they are, period. Right. You get all these people. And I'm sure I don't, I'm sure this has come up in conversation with, with ignorant human beings of like, well, when did you decide to be gay? Yeah. The classic. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, well, when did you decide to suck? I mean, you're, Mm -hmm. that's not a question. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's something really exciting about, you know, having a child someday and watching them, you know, grow into the person that they are meant to be without without outside influence saying this is what you should be doing. You know, yeah. it's it's exciting. So as of right now, Fred is equal an equal opportunist humper. 
Okay. That feels like the best type of situation you could ever be in. I feel like I'm you're thrilled. just like, my, my dog matches me, so I'm okay with that. Honey, I mean, I your viewpoint on the world, not that you hump everything. I mean, or this do I? So or do I? We're trying to paint you out to be very classy and very oh, up sure. here. But... I do not. Yes. Nod. You're nodding like, yes, William, which one is it? I'm like, Jessica, I have no idea which one it is. Yeah. Just um, a circle. One very quick final question, because you've been incredibly kind with your time. I just, just want to say beforehand that um, I don't feel like I've ever heard you, and maybe maybe you have, perform the ultimate gay anthem, which I think is I Am What I Am. And I wondered, is this something that you would consider doing Ooh. one day? Because I yes. think with your voice, I think that could, that could be pretty spectacular. Oh, that's phenomenal. Oh, I would love to sing that song. I mean, there are so many things that I want to put into my rep, but... I'm going to tell you that I don't think anybody has ever said that to me before. And now I'm putting it in my notes after, after we get off. I'm not kidding. I mean, I really, um, there are these anthemic songs that I want people to tell me about that make them feel something. And I actually really love that song. Ginger Minch from Drag Race did this sort of mixed up version of like a pop musical theater drag queen version, actually performing it for Harvey. Um, I'll send you a link afterwards. It's it's like a mashup of all the genres. It's it's very you. You'd love it. Okay. Yeah. I need it. I need it in my life because I'll probably, I'm not, I will never steal, but like I will give credit if mm-hmm. I ever did it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like artistically bor- borrowing. Is that a thing? Right, or yes, of course. Well, yeah. I, I okay. saw Ginger Minj do this. Yes, and so thank you. I want to do my spin on it, and I thank you. <laughs> I'm so unbelievably excited that it's you are actually coming to the UK and this is actually happening. And there's just so many other questions I want to ask you. So anyone that's listening, I apologize that we haven't gone through literally your CV from top to bottom, but <laughs> it would be crazy. But hopefully we've covered some of the things that people want to know about. But I have one final question for you, and that is the future. So if, say, a magic wand was waved and the opportunity for you to come and be a West End leading lady was put on the table, would you consider it? 100%, 125%, 200%. Um, I would jump at the opportunity. I think it's I think it's a dream that I've had for a really long time. And I'm such a, a fan of the West End as as it is and seeing the incredible talents of people who who get to lead shows on the West End. I mean, I it's been a dream since I've been a kid. And if I ever got the opportunity to do it, and I think I will someday. And uh I I will be on a plane, honey. Oh, fingers oh, crossed. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's written in the stars. There's too much of a connection between you and the UK for it not to happen. It's just got to be the right job, right? It's got to be the That's right exactly thing. exactly right. You know, the thing that happens when, when you know, any anybody out there who's listening, who is starting their career or who wants to figure sort of out how, how to deal with their path, I'm here to tell you that there is no path to wherever it is that you want to go. I mean, I started out on Broadway as a swing and three years later I was leading a show because I really wanted the ability to be a leading lady. And the the weird thing about that is, is that once you take the leap into leading a show, sometimes it's more difficult to find the right role afterwards because um, you know, then you're in leading lady territory and you want to you know, do those kinds of roles for your career. And so sometimes, you know, you have to wait for the right opportunity, but knowing that it exists and just knowing that things happen the way they're supposed to, i.e. my concert finally happening in London and being able to come over and do this is is a dream. So I just sort of try and let things happen the way they're supposed to happen. So dear Jesus God, if you find that there's a West End show that could be on in the next couple of years, I, I'd like to put myself into the mix. 
speaking of dreams you are a dream thank you so much for your time oh, I thank this you. has been so much fun and gosh there's literally only a few days now so I can actually start weighing myself with excitement but I'm I'm gonna bring like the wackiest most sort of queer outfit ever to the concert so I encourage oh, everybody else to do so and if there isn't a pride flag somewhere in that building on the night then I will be walking out because I expect nothing less there from you please make it happen there has <laughs> to be especially because Mr. Max Harwood did everybody's talking about Jamie mm-hmm. and I am so obsessed with everything having to do with drag that can a couple people show up in drag. I just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I will bring you a pride flag. There's my (gasps) promise to you. It will be, I'll give it to Darren and the team. It'll be at stage two, I promise. Okay, yay. Amazing. Sunday, 27th of February, Cadogan Hall. I'm so freaking excited. Thank you so much and good luck. Me too, thank you. You've been listening to Eleven, the official theatre podcast. Find out more about Eleven at elevenpodcast.com or via the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.